from Chicago, from Chicago whose pizza, whose is, pizza better is better than your pizza. pizza. That's right, That's I, right. Went there. I went there. This, this is the Atari, Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast. Podcast. Well, hello again, and this is Janitor Sean with episode 10 of the Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast, and we are going to be talking about crazy bricks. And by we, I mean just this guy right here. Uh, I don't have a partner on this podcast. I don't have an in-studio audience, maybe just a dog walking around now and then. So anyway, thank you for uh, listening, and, uh, and thank you for listening despite me not having a witty, or at least uh, what... I, and maybe nobody else thinks is a witty intro for this particular episode. <laughs> yeah, I figured, well, I burned myself out on that Music Man thing with the last episode. So, you know what? I'll just start it kind of boring this time. And those of you, at least in the United States, are probably thinking, wait a minute. This is only Friday, and there's a new episode of the Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast. Yes, there is. I figured, well, last time I was a little bit late, so to make it up this time, I'll be a little bit early. So happy Friday. And personally for me, it is a happy Friday because every Friday at work, they bring in donuts. And, uh, so that's pretty cool. Donuts and bagels too. I think my boss doesn't like donuts. He prefers bagels. So they made, uh, they make a special trip to Dunkin' Donuts for him to get some bagels. So, <laughs> and actually I like bagels too, even though usually donuts supposedly have less calories than bagels, but I'll tell you one thing that does bother me though. I hate cream cheese. I cannot stand cream cheese. It is just nasty. And yes, by extension, that means I don't like cheesecake. <gasps> True story. My wife said, well, you just haven't had the right cheesecake. That's the problem. So one day when we were in New York City, we went to Junior's. And I know this is going to really make people mad, but I don't care. I just have to say this. I've been to New York City many times, many times. When I lived in Jersey, that was the city. That's where I went to concerts. That's where I went to trade shows. And I've been back to New York City several times since I moved back to Chicago. And I got to say, Junior's is the only place in New York City where I found food to be edible. But anyway, my wife ordered cheesecake for dessert one day at Junior's. And she was like, this is amazing. She said, if there's any time that you're going to have cheesecake that you'll like, it'll be now. So I tried a bit of hers and it was still nasty. I was like, yeah, she said, okay, you're never going to like cheesecake, <laughs> but yeah, I don't like cream cheese. I prefer to butter my bagels. I like, I like butter in my bagels. The problem is when they get the bagels from Dunkin' Donuts, they only get various types of cream cheese. They don't get butter. And I keep telling them, oh, come on, man, get some butter. Get some butter. They're like, okay, yeah, don't worry. Next time we'll do that. And they never do. But hey, I can't really complain because I, I do. I, I actually do like my job a lot and they are really good to us over there. So I'm kind of a lucky guy in that regard. But uh, hey, what's been going on in my life? Um, not much really the past couple of weeks. I've just been chilling, I guess, playing a lot of crazy bricks, playing uh, some games for Pie Factory podcast as well. I played some uh, Gauntlet and Gauntlet 2. And um, what else can I say? Um, that's that's pretty much it. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm just going to kind of just make stuff up here. This is totally unscripted, this part of the show. And actually, most of this episode is really unscripted. I just have some bullet points, really from which I'm trying to make complete sentences. You know what? I realize this is the only video game podcast 
that hasn't talked about the NES classic going out of production. And I'll tell you exactly why. I really don't freaking care. I don't care. I don't care about that. I don't care about the Atari flashbacks and the Coleco flashbacks, and the Intellivision flashbacks, with the exceptions of the Atari flashback 2 and the Atari flashback portable, simply because those games allow you to add other games. The other ones, well, you're pretty much stuck with what they have unless you know some kind of a hack. I do not have a flashback too, by the way, but if I did, you better believe I'd hurry up and learn how to put a cartridge port on that thing. <laughs> In fact, I know of an arcade owner who uh, told me once before he was hoping to get a flashback too and put a cartridge port on that and just throw a bunch of games on a harmony cart so that way he wouldn't have to carry his Atari 2600 collection back and forth from between home and the arcade. But hey, um, and I love the flashback portable. I really do love that. The emulation of the sound, of course, is a little bit off. But hey, NES Classic, don't care. If I want an NES Classic, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to get an NES. But you know what? I don't want one of those because I have a GPD XD. I think I talked about that before, but that is a handheld device. It's basically an Android tablet with a video game controller attached to it. So it's basically made for gaming. I use that thing a lot, especially with MAME. And sometimes I play Nintendo 64 and Super NES stuff on it as well. It doesn't have... Uh, I haven't been able to find an Atari 7800 emulator that actually works in that thing. If anybody knows of one that would work, I'd really appreciate um, hearing from you about it. But, oh, I know something that happened. Remember how at Midwest Gaming Classic I had attempted to regain my world record in Pac-Man collection with uh, the Pac-Man setting, that is playing just a standard game of Pac-Man, but high speed mode. That's been certified at Twin Galaxies, as has been my latest score in Super Pac-Man. And what's interesting is just a couple of days ago, somebody posted on Facebook a screen cap of... Uh, his latest Super Pac-Man game, and it was over 190,000. I was like, man, you should be recording your games and submitting them to Twin Galaxies because, man, you'd have the world record right now. And I really hope that happens more. I mean, yeah, sometimes submitting to Twin Galaxies is basically just to uh, just as an ego boost. But, of course, I've confessed my secret, and my secret is submit for games that hardly anybody submits for. So you could get a world record on a pretty miserable score. <laughs> but I just really hope that people are encouraged to play and submit their scores to Twin Galaxies and get some friendly competition going. And, of course, it would hopefully kind of arouse some publicity for these homebrews because some of these homebrews are tracked on twin galaxies and there's no reason that more can't be later i gotta look into how that happens so i don't know if i'm eligible to submit tracks yet but hey uh that would be interesting i'd love to see more 7800 homebrews more homebrews period on that uh on twin galaxies oh and speaking of super pac-man we got some feedback about super pac-man from Atari Age, posted by Dire51. Super Pac-Man is one of my all-time favorite arcade games. I remember the day many years ago that I bought Junior Pac-Man for the 2600. I was amazed at how good it was, especially compared to the earlier 2600 Pac-Man games, and I hoped that Atari would release a port of Super Pac-Man for either the 2600 or 7800 after that. Sadly, it never happened. 
After getting back into the 7800 after a very long break and finding out that a 7800 port of Super Pac-Man had finally been created and was being sold in the store, the Atari Age store that is, I had to buy it. My copy arrived today, and this would have been Wednesday, May 3rd, by the way, but when he's, when he's talking about today or she's talking about today, I don't know about the gender. And I just got done spending time with it. Now, in the years since I played the arcade game originally, I have played it to death on MAME, Namco Museum Volume 2 for the PlayStation, and Namco Museum Virtual Arcade for the Xbox 360. So it's still pretty fresh in my mind. So do I think the 7800 version lives up to the original? In a word, absolutely. I spent the better part of the last hour playing it, and I enjoyed it just as much as the arcade. Given the limitations of the console compared to the arcade, I'm amazed at how close it is to the original. Honestly, if this had been released for the 7800 back when I first got one, I'd have begged my parents for a copy and then been absolutely thrilled at just how good it was. This was money well spent, and one 7800 game I look forward to replaying as time goes on. Pac-Man Plus, my hat is off to you. Thanks for making my childhood dream a reality. And thanks for your feedback on Super Pac-Man Dire 51. And by the way, that Pac-Man Plus that he's referring to, of course, is Bob DeCrescenzo, who programmed Super Pac-Man for the Atari 7800. Since we're talking about Super Pac-Man, I did notice a couple of oddities with Super Pac-Man that aren't consistent with the arcade game. There are times when if you have eaten a power pill and then eaten some monsters... And let's say you have, say, I don't know, two sets of monster eyes that have gotten into the monster's pen in the middle of the maze, and there's still two other monster's eyes floating around outside the maze. Now, if the time for the actual super pill has not run off yet, then what happens is the eyes immediately regenerate, whether or not they are inside the box or outside the box they turn back into monsters but the monsters will be blue and ready to eat well this isn't true if the eyes are going into the box if they're actually in the box already uh in the 7800 version they don't turn blue they just generate into regular monsters and i know there was some kind of a race condition going on with the programming there and it was kind of a sacrifice that bob kind of had to make so that's why that was going on there. He said that there was one thing that had to override the other, and they couldn't just both happen at the same time, so he had to decide on uh, what to do with that. But it is a really good conversion, though. Aside from that tiny, tiny little bit, it's it's really great. And it's interesting that Dire 51 mentions the limitations of the console because it's really amazing how much that thing can do. For example, what do most 7800 users say is the killer app for the 7800 food fight? You are not allowed to own a 7800 without also having food fight. And food fight in the arcade was based on a Motorola 68000 processor, which is a pretty powerful little beast. It actually is the core behind the Atari ST, and the Amiga 500, 2000, and 1000, and 600. So the power that that thing has, and yet they were still able to convert a video game that used that processor 
down to what is used in the 7800 and still have an amazing game kind of tells you something about the power of this little beast. But thanks again, Dyer51, for your comment there. And uh, got some other feedback, and um, it's, this is basically more ego stuff. I apologize, but I, this, this, was, this kind of uh, blew me away here. On Atari Age, David MT writes, Sean, I finally got around to listening to a couple of your podcasts, and man, they are so well done. I'm not much of a homebrew collector, but it really doesn't matter. The games you have covered are some of my favorites, Junior Pac-Man, Burger Time. So it's interesting to hear the stories behind these 7800 adaptations. I especially enjoyed the history of how Junior Pac-Man came to be. I need to check out that thread, smiley face. Oh, yes, you do. Yes, you do. (laughs) Anyway, it obviously shows you put a lot of time into these shows and just wanted to say great job and thanks. And David MT, thank you. That was really kind of you to say that. And yeah, you really do need to check out that Junior Pac-Man thread. It is amusing and uh, highly creative. (laughs) And I mentioned this in a prior episode, but yeah, if you see anything that starts out kind of suspicious like you got a new user saying hey you know what here's a prototype of a game and it's like march yeah just be prepared for something to happen around april 1st and uh, again thanks for the kind words and truth be all right i'm gonna let you all in on a secret that i i don't know i might this might be different because i'm comparing it to the other podcast i do pie factory podcast but this is actually a very easy podcast for me it it, it it takes virtually little time. I mean, the research, the basically doing the research is really the time consuming thing, if anything is. And most of the research I do online, you know, I, I start, 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 start with Wikipedia. Just take a quick look at that and then just kind of spiral and snowball off of that into other references that I can find that are linked to that. And if I see something looks interesting, I'll Google it and things like that. I do have some issues of joystick magazine at my disposal that I use if there's something arcadey and, um, but that's really the only time consuming thing. And it, even, even then it doesn't really take much time because I love reading about this stuff anyway. And the post-production is easy because, Hey, it's just, just one guy. All I got to do is like edit out things where I'm like, uh, uh, oh, that, 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 that. and I just have to edit that stuff out and bam, it's done. I mean, it's really, really easy actually. Oh, and by the way, if anybody listening is a podcaster or is thinking about a podcaster, here's a little tip for you to make things go faster when you're editing down. I personally use audacity, which is free software. Those of you who don't know audacity it is a free audio editing software. You can also record with it. I actually record with GarageBand and then use audacity to trim it down. What I do to speed things up in audacity is I will change the rate of the waveform. Like by default, it's 44,100 kilohertz. I think it's kilohertz, which is basically CD quality sound. And so what I do when I edit is I boost it up to 64,100 simply because it speeds things up and it plays back faster. It sounds like I'm on helium, but the thing is, what might be, say, a 10-minute sound file becomes like say a six minute sound file and takes that that much time off of the actual editing process and then once i'm done editing 
I will set it back up to the normal speed of 44,100 kilohertz. So that's uh, just a little tip for you. But again, thank you, David MT. I re- that was really, really kind of you to post that. And um, anyway, I just, I really hope that you enjoy um, the other things you hear on this podcast. So thanks so much. And of course, something that I've been doing lately is plugging other podcasts. And I would absolutely love to do that right here. I don't remember if I mentioned this podcast before, but uh, there's one that I really enjoy comes out usually weekly and it's called Atari bites and it's hosted by Bill Pepper. What he usually does, he'll take an Atari 2600 game and tell a backstory about it. He'll usually make up the backstory if one doesn't exist. And it's a very creative way of addressing the Atari 2600 catalog. He gets very creative. Sometimes he has his kids help out and that's a lot of fun. And he recently had an interview with Scott Rhodes, who was actually a tech writer for Atari during the Tramel era. And uh, I've known Scott actually for the past 20 some years on a completely unrelated uh, topic, to be quite honest with you. And one of the reasons I want to especially mention Atari Bytes right now is that as of this recording, the most recent edition of Atari Bytes is about the game Breakout. And of course, it ties in very nicely with this particular episode as well. So I figured I'd give Bill a plug. It is Atari Bytes, spelled B-Y-T-E-S, and you can listen to Atari Bytes through your normal podcatchers. I use iTunes personally. I think he's on all the other major ones. But you can go to his site at Atari Bytes, B-Y-T-E-S dot Libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. I believe that he had an unfortunate illness that delayed his uh, recent episode because there wasn't a there wasn't one in his feed recently and I know that he's not been feeling well so that might have something to do with it. Bill, if you're listening, I hope you get better. And if you're not listening, screw you. I hope you don't get better. No, I just kidding, Bill. I really do hope you're feeling better and I can't wait for your next episode. And I should mention, by the way, that Bill has recently acquired an Atari 7800, and he does occasionally venture off into Atari 7800 territory. There was an edition of Atari Bytes about Food Fight and another episode that was about Robotron. In fact, that was a fairly recent one, I think. So give him a listen. Anyway, I've rambled enough. Now we just get into the meat of today's festivities. Today's game is Crazy Bricks. Designed and developed by one Bob DiCrescenzo, who goes by the handle Pac-Man Plus on Atari Age. So, let's just get right into it! The very first hint of the evolution of Crazy Bricks was a post on Atari Age on January 25th, 2011, when Bob DiCrescenzo posted a project he started that he was calling Pin Out which was his version of an old arcade game called Bomb B, which was a pinball breakout hybrid. Pinout would have 32 boards, but unfortunately Bob found that the pinballs kept getting stuck in play too often, and he couldn't figure out how to get around that, so he stopped work on Pinout to focus on another project. And the next hint toward Crazy Bricks would be just a little bit over two months later. The first work-in-progress ROM that Bob posted was on April 5th, 2011, with only two of the planned 32 levels completed. So at that point, I guess it really was a breakout clone. (laughs) 
But anyway, the very next day, there was a new version that had some bug fixes and two more levels. On April 11th, 2011, there was an updated version that had even more levels, and as a new feature, the ball would speed up as the game advances. Bob also added a bonus, I'm just going to say ball, a bonus ball feature in which you get a bonus ball every 10,000 points up to 100,000 points. And Drac is back and asked a question. He said, are there going to be power-ups? And Bob said no, because um, a guy named Propane13 was in the midst of working on an Arkanoid port, and he didn't want to make the game too much like Arkanoid. He just wanted to keep it a simple breakout game, but with quote-unquote crazy level layouts. At this point, a potential plan was to give the player random levels after clearing all 32 levels and kick the difficulty up a notch as well. And those changes were made and posted two days later, except of course there weren't yet 32 levels. And also the updated ROM that was posted had two-player functionality. Now let's flash forward several months to October 29th, 2011, Bob posted a near-finished version of the ROM. He redid the ball movement, and a new feature was that now sound effects were randomized every level. You're probably familiar with Super Breakout on the 2600, how every time you hit the reset button, you get a different set of sound effects. Well, same concept here, except every level, there's a random set of sound effects. At that point, Bob said, and I quote, this was just a game made so I can figure out ball trajectory slash movement. I know there won't be much interest in this game, but at least it will be out there. Anybody ever hear of a Bob DiCrescenzo homebrew that people were not interested in? (laughs) Oh boy. So that tells you right there that basically this was not so much a way for Bob to get a pat on the back, but it was a way for him to kind of learn. This was a learning experience for him. But later on that same day, Bob announced that he changed the game so that the player will always start with two balls instead of just one. And as long as those two balls are in play, the player gets an additional 100 points per brick destroyed. And yet even later that day, the first release candidate was posted. One of the new features was there was a sound effect when you lose your ball. (laughs) (sighs) Sorry, folks. And what could happen now is that you could use the fire button to start the game so you don't have to reach over and hit reset. And there was also a bonus ball sound added. And still, even later that day, there was a second release candidate posted, and this time it had an on-screen indicator of which player was up. Next day, October 30th, Release Candidate 3 was posted. Some of the sound effects were lowered in pitch, and some of the angles, the way the ball would hit the wall, some of those angles were tweaked a little bit. And previously, there would be a flashing animation when you finish a level, but Bob removed that for Release Candidate 3 to make the level-to-level transitions smoother and closer to the transitions that are in Super Breakout, There was a user who said, you know what, I really like in Super Breakout how when you finish clearing the wall, a new one regenerates the second you catch the ball. And so Bob was trying to simulate that as much as possible. On Halloween, the next day, Release Candidate 4 was posted. And this is interesting. Bob fixed a bug in which after you score 100,000 points, 
you get a bonus life for every brick you hit for the next thousand points. So Bob fixed that and he fixed some wraparound issues that appeared in later levels. I, you know what? I wish Bob would have left that at least as an Easter egg. So that way, if you really don't play the game very well, you could at least have that as well. Then again, if you don't play the game very well, what are the chances you're going to get a hundred thousand points anyway? <laughs> but anyway, over the next several days, there were some pre-orders taken and cartridges were shipped. However, a bug was found affecting double paddles in two-player mode, and on November 21st, Bob posted an updated ROM to fix the problem. On December 21st, by popular demand, Bob had put together and posted a PDF version of the manual with a disclaimer that he may change the manual because it's just a first version. So that's kind of the history of Crazy Bricks on the 7800. Six years after it came out, we still don't have the Arkanoid port that Propane 13 was working on, but we are on the heels of the release of Super Circus Atari, which does have Arkanoid-style power-ups. Spoiler alert. Isn't that nice how I said spoiler alert after I spoiled it? But anyway, Bob has said that breakout-style games are his favorite genre, and he did once mention that he'd like to do a part two for Crazy Bricks, but it hasn't happened yet. I had mentioned a game called Bomb B, B-O-M-B, and then B-E-E. And you're probably wondering, what is that game? Well, it is a Namco game. And, oh, you know, I realize that uh, this is the at least the second or third time I talked about Namco without giving any history. And you know what? Let's make this the third or fourth time because I'll give you some history in an upcoming episode. But anyway, Namco put out Bomb B in June 1979, and it was only released in Japan. Bomb B was the sequel to another game called GB, which was Namco's first ever video game, and that was released in October 1978. And there was yet another sequel to GB released in November of 1979, called Cutie Q. And what do all three of these games have in common? They are all designed by Toru Iwatani, the same guy who did Pac-Man. All three of these games are kind of pinball-y, kind of breakout-y hybrid games. And the reason for that was that Iwatani had wanted to design pinball games when he was hired by Namco. But Namco decided they didn't want to do pinball machines. So as a compromise, Iwatani did kind of a paddle and ball slash pinball hybrid. Um, I'm, you know what? Something occurs to me. This is probably, I think probably at least in the 7800 world, the most comparable thing would be Jinx, which is a game I actually highly enjoy. <laughs> but having said that, the original GB was actually a monochrome game and it used overlays to simulate color. Bomb B had color in the game itself and extra gameplay features and bonuses that weren't present in GB. And both Bomb B and Cutie Q were hidden games in the Japanese version of Namco Museum Volume 2 for the Sony PlayStation. And just to give you a little bit of a description of what GB, Bomb B, and Cutie Q were like, just kind of picture something that looks like video pinball in that it has drop targets and spinners and things like that. But also in various places in the board, there are bricks that you have to knock out. So if you can imagine that, then you have a really good idea of what 
these three games were like and what Bob's intention was. And just to further clarify, his intention with Pin Out wasn't to make just a direct port of Bomb B, but rather just to come up with, uh, I guess, conceptualize what he figured may have been the next direction that Namco had gone with that series had it not been for Pac-Man. And hey, since I talked about Bomb B, I should talk about the other game that obviously influenced Crazy Bricks, and that would be Breakout. Now, something that I learned new while doing this podcast, and yeah, I know this sounds ignorant, but I did not know that there was an arcade version of Breakout. I knew of Super Breakout in the arcade because, well, I've actually seen it. I've actually played it in the arcade, but not the original Breakout, but Atari released it in April 1976. And the purpose of Breakout, at least on the Atari side, was basically a response to the competition. There were some competitors who came up with one-player versions of Pong, the 1972 Atari classic, of course. And in particular, there was a game in 1974 called Clean Sweep, and it was made by a company called Ramtech. And in that game, you control a paddle that's supposed to hit a ball, which is supposed to destroy a series of dots. So does that sound kind of familiar? Well, yeah. And that's kind of what Nolan Bushnell had in mind when he wanted to have a prototype made for Atari's own version of that game. So what Nolan Bushnell did is he assigned this young employee that he had recently hired named Steve Jobs. Uh, name sound familiar? It should. But he had Steve design a prototype, and he said, you give me a prototype for a game like this, I'll give you $700. So why did Nolan Bushnell choose this young, kind of odd employee of his? And just to give you an idea how odd he was, many of you probably know this already, but hey, for those of you who don't, Steve Jobs, if you know anything about him, he was an odd fellow his whole life. But at the time he worked for Atari, he was not the cleanest person around. He was kind of a earthy hippie and everything. He was a fruitarian at the time. He only ate fruit in his diet. And he felt that because of his diet, it meant that his body was able to cleanse itself and he didn't need to say shower as frequently as most people <laughs> and his coworkers at Atari highly disagreed, <laughs> but Nolan Bushnell liked the guy. But, um, the reason that he asked Steve to come up with a prototype is that Nolan Bushnell knew that he was friends with a guy from HP named Steve Wozniak. And he knew that Steve Wozniak could design a pong game that would reduce the number of transistor-transistor logic or TTL chips that most machines usually use. So keeping that in mind, he told Steve Jobs, he said, I'll tell you what, Steve, if you can reduce the number of these TTL chips, I will give you a bonus for every chip fewer than 50 that your prototype uses. And the thing is, Nolan Bushnell and the folks at Atari were kind of getting tired of using TTL chips because their games typically used over 150 of them. So Steve Jobs says, okay, Nolan, I'll give you a prototype in four days. And just like Nolan Bushnell had hoped, Steve enlisted his friend Waz, who really pretty much did all of the work over a four-day nonstop period, pretty much. And Steve said, you know, I'll give you half of what I make. So that's $350 plus whatever bonus they decide to pay us. 
Well, something shady was going on because the prototype ended up having enough TTL chips fewer than 50 that Steve Jobs was given a $5,000 bonus. But obviously, Waz did not know about the bonus because according to one story, he was told that there was a bonus for keeping the number of TTL chips under 40. But whether or not that story is true, he was only given 350. Steve Jobs said, yeah, they only gave us 700. So, oh, wow. <laughs> and by the way, this did come back to bite Steve Jobs in the butt later when he had a falling out with Steve Wozniak that ended up with uh, Steve Wozniak leaving Apple. But having said all that, the final prototype officially was designed by Nolan Bushnell, Steve Wozniak, and Steve Bristow. Steve Jobs, what was his job? He mainly uh, did a lot of testing on the prototype, made sure it worked before it was submitted. So they turned over the prototype, and uh, the folks over at Atari said that the final prototype wasn't usable because the way that the hardware was organized to handle the small number of TTL chips just didn't make it easy for mass production. It, it would have been too difficult. So other engineers at Atari designed a new version of that same game that, of course, we all know as Breakout. And it didn't implement any of Bristow, Wozniak, and Bushnell's pretty compact version. And according to Waz, the final prototype that the other folks at Atari came up with was no different in gameplay. So obviously they modeled it a hundred percent after what Steve Wozniak came up with. But anyway, that's kind of the quick brief story of how breakout came to be. And when breakout was released in the arcades, it was a black and white game with a color overlay to make it look like it was in color. And that was pretty standard for the time. The game had eight rows of bricks and only two levels, meaning there was a maximum score of 896 for just a one-player game. There is a way to trick the machine into allowing you to get higher than that, but I'm not going to get into that right now because this is not about the Breakout Arcade game. This is about Crazy Bricks. But I do want to get into a little bit more detail just to give you a little bit of comparison here. In the original Arcade Breakout, the player would get three attempts. I don't... <laughs> I don't want to say three lives because it's not really lives. And I don't want to say three balls because, well, we are at least here in America, we are pretty immature, but anyway, so what happened was Atari released the game later on the Atari video computer system, which some of us know better as the 2600. And in that version, it was obviously actual color. And there were only seven rows of bricks and five attempts, but still you could only play two levels. And of course there are, different variations on that cartridge. You could, there was a breakthrough variation, which means that when you hit the ball through the bricks, the ball kept on going and knocking bricks out. And, um, and instead of bouncing back to your paddle. And of course there was an invisible bricks variation and whatever else have you. In 1976, later on that year, there was another breakout game released by Atari called Breakout Deluxe, and unfortunately, I couldn't find any information about it, so uh, we're just going to leave it hanging, at least for now. And then next came Super Breakout. It was still a black and white game with a color overlay, but it came with three variations that you can choose from by turning a dial on the control panel. There was Double Breakout, which gave you two paddles on the screen at the same time, one on top of the other, and two sets of rows of bricks, and you played with two balls in play at the same time. There was a variation called Cavity Breakout, 
in which the brick wall had two holes or cavities, I guess. And in each of those cavities, there was a ball. And when you knock the bricks out that surrounded a cavity, the ball that's in the cavity would fall out and would be in play. And yes, that means you can have up to three balls in play at the same time. And the other option was called Progressive Breakout, which is basically the same thing as Game 7 of the Atari 2600 Super Breakout, where the walls would periodically come down toward you as the ball hit the paddle. And Super Breakout was released in the arcades in September of 1978. So that's uh, just a quick rundown of how the Breakout games started. So why don't we talk about Crazy Bricks. So now that I talked about the history of Breakout, the history of Bomb B, and the history about Crazy Bricks itself, hey, why don't we talk about the game? This is mainly for those of you who haven't played it yet. But hey, probably judging from what I've talked about before, you already have figured out this much. You are given a deflector and it acts as a paddle. On some screens, the deflector contains two paddles, one on top of the other. As you play the game, the ball speed increases, mainly based on how many times your deflector hits the ball. And uh, full disclosure, I haven't um, actually sat down and really counted and paid attention to how many times you have to hit the ball. But you always start your turn with two balls in play. And one of the balls is going to be slightly faster than the other and accelerates slightly faster than the other. You are given three deflectors, and like I said before, sometimes you'll have two paddles in that deflector, but you get three deflectors and an extra deflector every 10,000 points. And you heard me mention earlier when talking about the history of Crazy Bricks that you would get a deflector every 10,000 points up to 100,000 points. Well, in the final version, the version that you can get in the Atari Age store, you continue to get a bonus deflector every 10,000 points, even after 100,000 points. There are 32 levels, and after you clear the 32nd level, which I have not yet, by the way, the levels are chosen at random. And there are three difficulty settings that you choose in the menu at the beginning of the game. There's easy, normal, and hard. And what makes it easy, normal, and hard? Well, basically the speed of the ball and how soon the ball reaches its maximum speed. And of course, the goal is to clear all of the bricks, spelled B-R-I-X, on the screen. And just so you know, if you read the manual, you will see that the word B-R-I-X could be singular, could be plural. One little piece of the wall is called a bricks. Many pieces of the wall are called bricks, both spelled B-R-I-X. And when a ball hits a bricks, the bricks disintegrates. And yes, I am doing finger quotes. You have heard that correctly. You're probably used to, uh, in your typical breakout and Arkanoid game, that there's a proscenium holding the brick wall, and it's usually just a simple rectangular arch, which is what you should expect with crazy bricks for some levels, because sometimes that proscenium is not rectangular. It might be shaped a little bit differently, and the way the proscenium is shaped will affect how the ball behaves, what angle it takes, so it adds a little twist to the gameplay. And on some levels, some of the later levels in particular, there may be holes or gaps in the proscenium, and if the ball goes through that hole, it will wrap around depending on which direction it's going. If it goes through, say, a hole in the left side of the proscenium, 
the ball will come back out on the screen on the right side and vice versa. There may be a hole on the top of the proscenium or the proscenium might even be wide open at the top. And if the ball goes through the top, through a gap or through a wide opening like that, it's going to come back out of the bottom of the screen. I've never seen anything like that in any other breakout style game. But if it comes out of the bottom of the screen and your paddle's in the way, then your paddle is going to kind of dictate what direction the ball's going to take. If the ball comes through the bottom of the screen and your paddle isn't there, it's just going to continue on the same path that it was going. And the higher the bricks that you destroy is, the higher the point value you will score. The range is anywhere from 10 points to the lowest possible bricks to 150 points for the highest possible bricks. And the higher the bricks is that you knock out, the higher pitch the sound effect will be. And yeah, I mentioned this earlier, but hey, it's worth mentioning again. Every new level has a randomly selected set of sound effects for when you knock the bricks out. And the sound effects are very similar to the ones from the Atari 2600 Super Breakout. And going back to that 10 points through 150 points for knocking out the bricks, if you have two balls in play at a time, you will be given an additional 100 points for each bricks that you knock out. And if you lose one of the two balls, then you don't get that additional 100 points per bricks. Now, what about these 32 levels? Well, <laughs> here's the thing. I am not that good at the game, at least not yet. I've only made it up to level 12. I tried easy difficulty. Let me tell you something. Easy difficulty is slow. It will take you minutes, several minutes to clear a screen with the easy setting and level 12. Let me tell you something about level 12. You have in the proceed of a rectangular proscenium like normal, but you have several walls that go from left to right and right to left with gaps all the way in the opposite ends of each wall. So basically you have to get your ball in that first gap and hope that it zigzags all the way through. And usually the ball will hit one of the bricks and then come back down. And you have to repeat that over and over and over. And um, I've never gotten past that on a normal setting. And on the easy setting, it takes forever and a day to get through that level. But I'll tell you about some of the levels. Uh, the first few levels, nothing really earth shattering. The first level is a rectangular proscenium. And the bricks are shaped like two triangles pointing towards each other. Uh, some of the levels you're given double paddles on your deflector. The first really remarkable level, I would say, is level five, at which the bricks are laid out in the shape of the Atari Fuji in gradient red. And by the way, those of you who have seen that that term used before to, to describe the Atari logo, Fuji, it is called the Fuji because the folks over at Atari thought that the logo looked like Mount Fuji. But the purpose of that logo was actually to make it look like two players playing Pong. Whether or not you agree that that's what it looks like, hey, that's up to you. Uh, level six, the bricks are shaped like a tank from the Atari 2600 combat game or Atari 7800 combat 1990 for that matter. And there's a little bullet next to it as well. And level eight, the bricks are in the shape of a space invader, one of the arcade style space invaders. 
On level 9, the bricks are in the shape of the Atari 2600 Asteroids ship, and the proscenium actually kind of outlines the shape of that thing, too. And I'm not going to spoil too many of the levels here, but you will start seeing gaps in the proscenium around level 22. And uh, by the way, when I did play through this game on the easy level... I ended at level 26 because there was a severe thunderstorm coming and a lot of lightning and I did not want to blow up my 7800 so I had to unplug it just to be safe. But there's one level in particular that I want to talk about. One of the levels is actually arranged just like the board in the game Bomb B. So I thought that was really cool to see that in there. I wonder if that was supposed to be the main board actually now that I think about it. But hey. And there are some people, including myself, who found that there is a display bug if you hit the reset button in the middle of the game at the wrong time. What may happen is you will see a second phantom deflector paddle on the screen. It just kind of sits there. It's just a graphical glitch, and it doesn't actually affect the gameplay. And what happens is when you reach a level that uses double paddles on your deflector, that phantom paddle disappears. And then the rest of the game is pretty normal from there. Uh, this happens both on the standalone cartridge that is currently available in the Atari age store and on the Bob D. Crescenzo 30th anniversary collection multi-cart that some of us were lucky enough to get. So that in a nutshell is crazy bricks. Now, let's um, get some listener feedback, shall we? As is my usual thing, I went to Atari Age and Atari.io and asked for feedback about the episode's game. So let's go to Atari Age now for Crazy Bricks feedback. We start with Toilet. That was weird. Crazy Bricks feedback. Hmm cracky voice there anyway crazy bricks is kind of like the missing link between super breakout and arkanoid the easy mode is easy enough to see all the levels and the other modes are challenging enough for repeated play kudos for including joystick and paddle support and toilet tunes thank you for that comment going back to that let's let's examine that comment the easy mode is easy enough to see all the levels yes it is i I actually did play the easy variation just so I could see all of the levels, but unfortunately I couldn't go that far because it was taking forever and there was a severe thunderstorm approaching. So I wanted to unplug so lightning didn't zap my equipment. <laughs> so I only saw the first 26 levels, but yeah, that easy level, the ball goes so slow and that's especially a pain for that one level in which there's like overlapping walls and basically, you, you're lucky if you hit more than one brick every time. <laughs> and let's see, next we have Save2600, who says, Sadly, I haven't played this a lot, but definitely had a great time with the few levels I've played. Love the fact that it has paddle support, and there are plenty of levels and features to keep things interesting. Sounds are nice, especially the classic Atari VCS sound it makes when the ball gets by your paddle. I think he means when the ball gets hit by your paddle. Another great addition to the 7800's library. Pink smiley face with hearts for the eyes. <laughs> I notice there's no temporary speed up option when using the joystick. I like it when paddle games that use the joystick allow for that burst of energy when you hold the fire button. 
course, you should always break out, trademark, your pedals when you want a real analog brick blasting experience anyway. The way these games were meant to be played, winky face. Yep, absolutely, they'd save 2600 That's I agree with you 100%. It's nice that there's joystick support in this game, but really, honestly, you gotta have paddles. You gotta use paddles. Golden Wheels says... I enjoy it a lot, perhaps just because I am a sucker for paddle controllers and so few homebrews use them. Great boards, multiple ball, smooth gameplay. It's one of my favorite brick-breaking games. Thank you, Golden Wheels. Yeah, it is interesting that there are very few homebrews that use them. The only two 7800 games in existence that I can think of, actually, are that use the paddle controllers are... Crazy Bricks, and the soon-to-be-released Super Circus Atari Age. And I have a theory for that. I'm not sure. Well, the reason that some homebrews don't have paddle support, in fact, the one that I'm thinking of right now is Roof Pooper, which I'll talk about in a later episode. (laughs) Uh, That game just screams for paddle controllers. The only problem is it was designed with 7800 Basic, which does not support paddle controllers but I would love to have that game with a paddle support in there. But thanks again, Golden Wheels and Trevor. By the way, it was only during the course of recording the various episodes of this podcast that I figured out where Trevor's handle comes from. Am I ignorant or or is that for everybody? But anyway, Trevor says, being completely transparent, I'm not the biggest fan of these kinds of games if a paddle is not being utilized. Unlike some titles like Super Circus Atari Age or another alternate controls game such as Astro Smash under the 2600, in which a joystick or paddle are possible control methods, for Crazy Bricks, I would go so far as stating it is a paddle must, at least for me. There's some sort of psychological fixation of seeing a paddle and ball and must slash need to utilize some sort of dial paddle controls. Thanks, Pong. What I love about this title off the bat is the clean, sleek, futuristic feel it gives me in-game. The higher-res 320 mode is utilized, and it shows. There's crispness in how the game animates and presents that really ups the wow factor. Love the disintegration of the bricks. (laughs) Their gradient of color is really cool and a nice touch effect, which may sadly be missed under some emulators if that is the choice method of play. Sound could be perceived as a drawback. The sounds that are present are nicely managed. However, it feels somewhat empty at times, which is typically the nature of the beast, or the simple, eloquent beauty of these types of games, depending on your perspective and preference. For those looking more for an Arkanoid experience, this game is more straightforward and streamlined than that. Power-ups such as firing lasers are not present. There are 32 levels, which leave plenty of goals to accomplish, as it will take a considerable amount of time and skill to conquer even half that number of levels, let alone the full 32. (laughs) Many levels display a nice creative flair and layout. The game's pace incorporating the velocity and accurate deflection of the ball's path is absolutely critical. It is not easy to balance smash-wall-type games. They can play either too easy or too hard, but Crazy Bricks balances it beautifully under normal. However, for those who believe the challenge is too tough, there is easy, as well as respectfully, a hard setting for those looking for a greater difficulty. 
If breakout type games are your thing, then you will find contentment and satisfaction with Crazy Bricks. If paddle games with smashing bricks, quote unquote B-R-I-X, as the goal is not your thing, this likely will not sway you differently, but it is at least worth a shot. It is an enjoyable and fun paddle game to play. Trevor, thank you for your, as usual, thoughtful and insightful comments about the game. I didn't realize this was that 320 mode, which uh, I, I still don't fully understand how to explain. <laughs> but hey, what are you going to do? And yeah, the, the challenge of those 32 levels, I don't think I've still made it to half of that, as you said, uh, with the um, normal difficulty setting. I think the most, uh, the highest I ever got on there um, I don't think I finished that one level I was talking about in which the walls overlap each other and you kind of have to zigzag up the walls. I haven't gotten past that yet on the normal setting. And let's switch over to Atari.io now. The professor says, It's a nice homebrew, but I wish it had more Arkanoid-style power-ups. 7,800 games should feel competitive with the NES. All right, thanks for that comment, the professor. And I, I see what you're getting at because, you know, the 7800 was basically put up alongside the NES. That wasn't its original intention, of course. But, hey, what are you going to do? As for the Arkanoid-style power-ups, Bob specifically said he didn't want to do that simply because at the time he was doing Crazy Bricks, there was somebody else working on basically Arkanoid for the 7800. And obviously nothing ever came from that, unfortunately, at least as far as I can tell, nothing that was ever released on cartridge. And also, it was, I think, from what I could tell from various conversations and things, Crazy Bricks for Bob was more of kind of a learning experience. Like, because he, his favorite genre of video game is the uh, basically the brick smashing kind of games. And he di basically did this as an exercise as to how to learn to program those kinds of games. And I really do feel that there are enough surprises and features in this game that you don't really need the power-ups and things. But having said that, Super Circus Atari Age, which is going to be out anytime, heck, for all I know, my copy as a Atari Age subscriber might be coming to me sooner than I realize, <laughs> But Super Circus Atari Age does have Arkanoid-style power-ups. So that might be kind of a compromise right there. I, don't, I, I didn't really follow the development of Super Circus Atari Age closely, but that might have been kind of a something that he thought while he was working on. He's like, he might have thought, well, we didn't get Arkanoid, so let me see if I can put a little bit of Arkanoid stuff in this. But thanks again, The Professor. And no big surprise here, got some feedback here from TrekMD. He says, Here we have a game that takes the classic formula from Breakout and updates it for the 7800. If you're expecting an Arkanoid clone, then you need to look elsewhere because that's not what Bob created with Crazy Bricks. In this game, you control a deflector with either a joystick or a paddle controller, though I recommend the latter, to smash bricks. That is, and by the way, he spelled bricks, B-R-I-C-K-S. And then in parentheses, he says, or are they B-R-I-X? <laughs> that are organized in various patterns, a number of which play tribute to other Atari classics. 
Don't be surprised when you see a tank from combat or an alien from Space Invaders, among others. To add to gameplay, the walls are not always smooth and straight as they are on Breakout or even Arkanoid. These irregular walls make the balls move in rather interesting ways that really add an unpredictability to things and keeps the game interesting. Visually, the game does have bright colors, and the animation of the bricks as they are smashed is nicely done. They don't just vanish when the ball hits them, but rather they are slowly broken down until they disappear. Given the limited number of paddle titles for the 7800, if you discount the 2600 titles you can play in the system, this is certainly a game to have to enjoy with friends or by yourself. Truly another Bob classic for the 7800. So go crazy and smash some bricks, B-R-I-X. And thank you, TrekMD. Yeah, that's true. I, As far as I know, the only paddle games that are available in, well, at least in cartridge format for the 7800 are Crazy Bricks and the soon-to-be-released Super Circus Atari Age. So yeah, there's a pretty huge paucity of paddle games for the pro system. But thank you again, TrekMD. Thank you as usual. Now comes the time that'll make everybody happy. This is the end of the episode. As for Crazy Bricks itself, well, I personally, I enjoy the game very much. I really do. At first, it just seems like it's just another breakout clone, but the difference is noticeable right away in that you always start with two balls in play. And I love the animation of the bricks disintegrating. That's a really nice touch instead of them just disappearing, as you heard from uh, previous feedback here. And as you go through the levels, you see some really fascinating variations. And um, in some cases, especially the later levels, you're going to see that the word crazy in the game's name definitely applies very well. Uh, I like that the game is generous with bonus deflectors. And I like that normal mode, the default gameplay mode, is neither too easy nor too hard. I like that you get random sets of sound effects with every level because, well, yeah, I like that with the Atari 2600 Super Breakout, you can just keep hitting reset until you get the sounds that you want. But if you're going on a single game for a long time, you might get tired of the sound effects. You might want something else. Well, this game, Crazy Bricks, actually takes care of that problem. And something that I really think is pretty cool, even though I can't personally relate to it because I don't really have this ability, but uh, Bob said that he tried to make Crazy Bricks, and I quote, easily hackable. What he did was he coded the levels in a specific area of the ROM so that if somebody wanted to hack the game and make their own levels, they could. There are a few things I don't like. like. I don't like that it's very difficult to see all the boards in normal mode unless you're good enough. Like there are no cheats or anything that I know about. And if you want to do that, you can play easy mode, but it's just too slow. So I, th I just thought it would be really cool to have some kind of a cheat or an option which you could like say press a button and the ball speeds up while you have the button held down. But hey, it's still a great game. I still love it a lot. Um, as for the Arkanoid style power-ups that are not in this game... Honestly, I, I just really don't care. And let me tell you something about Crazy Bricks that kind of makes it um, an asset to the Atari 7800. Think about all the consoles or computers or both that you've ever owned. Chances are you have had some kind of a breakout game on each of those consoles or computers. Atari 2600 had at least three. 
I know that you get Arkanoid for many consoles and computers. And I played it a lot in the Commodore 64 and the Amiga as well. In fact, in the Amiga, there was a public domain game I had called Poing, which was a horizontally oriented breakout. And uh, it had some very interesting variations in that game. There was also Mega Ball. If you have an Amiga, look for the game Mega Ball. That is a really cool breakout game. It has some Arkanoid-style power-ups and stuff. And when I was in grade school, the library where I went to school from first through sixth grades before I moved to Joliet, Illinois, they had an Apple II. Actually, the, the library had an Apple II Plus and an Apple IIc, I think. Yeah, I think it was an Apple IIc. Was it an E? I don't know. But one of the games they had was a game called Little Brick Out. And uh, that was a horizontally oriented breakout game that a lot of us kids played. And we played it with the joystick controller. And uh, the joystick controller, I remember, was one of those springy kinds, like the ones that the Odyssey 2 have. So that wasn't really conducive to playing a good little breakout game. And speaking of little breakout and the Apple II, something I didn't mention before about how Steve Wozniak did breakout, the prototype breakout for Atari is that the way that he designed the Apple II used a similar chip layout to how Breakout was done. And something else I should backtrack to, sorry I'm backtracking, but something I forgot to mention, is that the way that the prototype for Breakout was done, it was done with uh, discrete logic. What does that mean? I have no idea. But it was programmed entirely on hardware, whether rather than software. And that's how Pong was done too, which is why you can't really emulate Pong or Breakout. If you see anything that claims to be an emulated version of Pong or Breakout, it's really a simulated version. It's done by software simulation. So I just wanted to mention that. But hey, I really enjoy Crazy Bricks and I will continue to enjoy Crazy Bricks. And yeah, use paddle controllers on the thing. Please use paddle controllers. And the cool thing about Crazy Bricks is that you can leave your joystick plugged into the left port and you can just plug in the paddle controllers in the right port. In fact, if you do use paddle controllers, they have to be in the right port. So that's what I had to say about Crazy Bricks. That was my final thoughts other than to say, hey, thank you everybody for listening. And thank you to Jimmy G, Richard Valdez, and Ed Ladden Controllers for supporting this podcast via Patreon. And if you would like to join that list of names, then go to patreon.com slash homebrew78. And Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And I welcome feedback over email. And you can reach me at homebrew78 at fab4, that's the number four, by the way, it.com. You can send your feedback either textly or soundly by wave or mp3 you can also discuss this podcast on facebook there is a facebook page for the atari 7800 homebrew podcast and if you go to both atari age and atari.io in the discussion forums there are threads specifically for this podcast in general and if you go into the atari 7800 forums at those sites you will see 
threads for whatever specific games are being covered and what game is being covered in the next episode that will be scramble by request another Bob DiCrescenzo game and another Bob DiCrescenzo game that is on the limited edition 30th anniversary Bob DiCrescenzo collection cartridge. And I think after that episode 12, I'm going to do Donkey Kong PK. Ooh, some of you might not have heard of that. Well, you're going to want to definitely listen to that or at least read Atari age and look for the Donkey Kong PK thread there. Spoiler alert. It is amazing. And you can see the show notes on this podcast at homebrew78.fab4it.com. And thanks again for listening, everybody. And please give these hardworking homebrew developers the support that they deserve. Talk at you in a fortnight. Toodles. Toodles.